Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Progressive presents Forced Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me again this week as we take you through the latest news, analysis and game action surrounding our Chicago Bulls. We're recording this one after the Bucks game and before the Raptors game. So you're hearing us on a Monday morning without having knowledge of how this Raptors game has transpired. Now, unless a miracle has happened and the Bulls have beaten the Raptors, maybe our moods have changed a little. But as of right now, we're a little flat, Fred and I, and he's phoning in from Jabari Island today. I'm not sure how Jabari Island has telecommunications, given how remote it is at the moment, but Mr. Frederick Pfeiffer is on the line. Fred, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I don't know why I'd be down. I mean, Jabari had a, a pretty solid game uh, <laughs> yesterday for the at least the first half. He had I a mean, good first quarter. He, he wasn't he wasn't the uh, the reason at all that we lost. I think he was far from it. There were many other reasons that were far more impactful. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know what's going on with Zach Levine lately. Three for eleven again last night. Zero for two from three. He's had four just awful games in a row. I'm starting to get I'm starting to get quasi concerned. Uh, I know they're throwing a lot of players at him. I know they're blitzing him with uh, several defenders, but. Uh, he really is making some awful decisions on the perimeter. I love everything about Zach when he takes it to the rim, and I know it's difficult, and I know it's hard. But when he settles for the jumpers, it's the, the results have been just awful. And for us to win games, he's got to play just average at least. If he has he keeps continuing to have games like he did last night, we don't have a chance because it's just him and Parker as consistent scorers. And uh, outside of that, there's not much you can depend on on the offensive end. What say you? I say over his last 10 games, Parker's averaging, uh, sorry, Zach Levine's averaging 22.8 points per game, which sounds pretty good, as does the 5.8 rebounds and 4.4 assists. But then when you look at the efficiency numbers, 38% from the field, 25.9% from the three-point line, 
48.9 true shooting percentage. That's pretty, pretty bad. So it hasn't been a good stretch here for Zach Levine over the last 10 games. So it's pretty much more than half the season. So he's been struggling over the last 10 games. And at some point, I guess it was going to catch up to him. He wasn't going to remain as efficient as what he was. But given all the injuries, as you said, defense is really honing in on him, blitzing him hard and and all those sorts of things. I expected him to regress a little bit. But at the same time, I think he's also regressing into that old Zach Levine that we saw last season that was one that was probably too much in love with his uh, fall away and contested jumpers. Yeah, I gave you some incorrect information. I was talking about the Boston game with the 3 of 11. He was 6 of 20 last night. So, I mean, even though he is still putting up numbers at to- in total numbers, his efficiency just, as you kind of alluded to, he's just gone off the, you know, back to where he was last year, and it's not good. You know, I, I basically, the last good game we had was against the Knicks when he was 13 to 25. In the five games since, he's 9 to 26, 9 to 22, 8 to 23, 3 of 11, and 6 for 20 from the field. And in those same games from 3, 2 of 5, 1 for 4, 0 for 6, 0 for 2, and 1 for 5. So he's uh, 1 for his last 11 from 3. I, I, I think that's a big problem there. Uh, that's a big part of Levine's game. And any great perimeter player, if you're able to hit the 3, it makes it that much more difficult for teams to guard you because they do have to you know, show hard on that and allows for penetration, makes it easier for, the, for him. Uh, I just, I, I just hope that with the return of Mark and in, and another real legit offensive force that we'll see him kind of find a nice spot as the second offensive option for this team and become more efficient and use that opportunity to attack the rim as opposed to settling for jumpers. It's yeah. just so hard to expect a guy to, uh, and he just, there's just so much on his back and I understand what, how he feels is. It, it, it just it's very energy sapping to just continually attack the rim, especially when they have they're throwing so many guys at him. Yeah, definitely. Look, I'm not I'm not going to be overly critical on Levine because this is entirely expected. Um, whilst, like I said, he has been taking probably some more ill advised jump shots than what I'd prefer. Uh, again, this the, the kind of attention that he's receiving, given that he started this season over averaging over thirty points. It was pretty easy for opposing defenses to look at the Bulls and just say, if we stop Levine, we're going to stop this team. So it's not too surprising that his numbers have sort of cratered off here. But hopefully once the the injured players return, it makes things a little easier for Zach and we see those efficiency numbers creep back up. But we won't know that for another two to four weeks, roughly in that vicinity, once all four of those guys are sort of all back. So we'll see how it all sort of transpires. But at least for the next week or two, it's going to be rough going here for Zach Levine. And like we said, Fred, we haven't watched the Raptors game just yet, but I can't imagine that's going to be an easy one for him either with their perimeter defense. But what did you what did you make about the rest of this Bulls-Bucks game? It was a pretty damn good first half. After that first half, I, um, I messaged you. I said, this podcast is going to be a really good one. I was thinking maybe there was a slight chance the Bulls could hold on to that win. Maybe. But obviously, well, yeah. that did not. Happen. I had a pregame. I had a pregame prediction of uh, I saw great things. I think I uh, I was confused. I think I was referring to the the Windy City Bulls right, in my yeah. prediction. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I I really felt like they were going to come out strong. I didn't expect them to come out that well. And Parker had just an insane first half with 17 first quarter points. Put that in pers- perspective. The great Ryan Archinato has a season high of 15. So he. Uh, that really puts in perspective how great of a first quarter that Parker had. And then 
the second quarter again was problematic, uh, but there were some good moments. I thought Blake and Nee was hitting some shots and there were some good things to happen. But I will admit there was a poll. Does anybody expect the Bulls to win with uh and they were up eighteen? And I think the vote was a it was like seventy eight percent said no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, I couldn't believe it. What I did not expect is just the amount of time it took for them for us to lose that lead to go from like up 18 to down 18. It seemed like it happened in about five minute period. Yeah. Am I wrong in that assessment? It was yeah, no, un- it, it went super quick. It was, it went in the third quarter and look to me, to me, that's exactly how I expected it to happen. Cause there was no way the bulls were going to keep up that shooting. Justin holiday. You're, you're, you're his biggest fan. He had six threes in that first half. He was pretty amazing. <laughs> Some of the shots he yeah. was hitting, but there was just no way those level of shooting was going to sustain. And of course, the Bulls were never going to match it, and you you would expect at some point the Bucks on their home floor to sort of come back here and do something, which obviously they did. The Bulls were up at by twenty two points at one point, but then pretty much surrendered that, and then all of a sudden the Bucks got up by twenty two points. So it was a huge swing. You won't you don't really see that type of that, that type of swing from a, a points differential on a on a daily basis sort of thing. It's kind of crazy I can actually see it happen, but it was in, in some ways entirely predictable. Yeah, I, there were. You're absolutely right. Entirely predictable. I don't know if that's entirely predictable. I, I did expect them to at least lose it in the fourth quarter and and to hold on. It it, it was just an uh, an avalanche of several factors. The Bucks getting hot from three. Uh, and then just also the officiating. It's when when Gianna, it, it's impossible to guard a guy if you're going to ref like that. I thought there were several calls in the game where the Bulls had clear positioning. Ryan had one. I thought Parker t- drew a charge. Uh, the one that Archinano had was not on. Uh, I think that might have been on Bloodsoe. But I, you just can't guard the guy if you if you're going to make calls like that. You know, because you're trying to force him into outside shots. He's not a great outside shooter. But if he's able to just attack the rim. And anytime there's contact, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Then you don't have a shot. You don't. You don't unless you're still shooting at an insane percentage. There was one more bright spot I do have to mention: Wendell Carter Jr. Every game the guy plays, or something else I see that just, you know, just gets me so excited. And and I saw you say he was the best big man in the draft. I agree 100. percent Not only do I believe that, I think number one, he should he should garner. Uh, all NBA defensive votes this year. I don't care if he's a rookie. That's how good he's been defensively. Number two, uh, he's already top 10 in blocks, which for a rookie who's on limited minutes is, is insane. And he has 6'8 last night from the field. I thought he showed a little bit more in the offensive end with some nice post moves, hit a couple nice short jumpers. And another underrated trait of this guy is when he sets picks. He obliterated a few guys on picks yesterday that i thought were just so well set so sound fundamentally i can't say enough good stuff about this guy he had four assists two and four rebounds i don't know why he only played 24 minutes i guess he he wasn't foul trouble and then the game probably got out of hand enough where you know fred didn't want him in there anymore but i am so excited about his future that i i'm starting to even think that i maybe had sold him a little bit low his ceiling actually might be higher than what i first first originally anticipated what say you he's a freak He's a freak. I mean, one of the first possessions of the game was Wendell Carter Jr. stopping Giannis in transition. He basically just pulled him up and forced the jump ball, which is insane. He's a 19-year-old rookie center. If we think back to the draft, some of the concerns about him was, could he stay with perimeter players out on the perimeter? And here he is 
sort of just tracking Giannis in the open court in transition, sort of grabbing the ball, blocking the shot, forcing a jump ball type situation right at the start of the game. Uh, there wasn't many highlights here for the Bulls in, in this Bucks game, but that probably was the biggest highlight for me, at least. That one set me into a fra- uh, frenzy. Look, we've talked about it before. I'm, I'm all in on Wendell Carter Jr. I think he's going to be the best Bull in, in a few years' time. He's going to go past Levine. He's going to go past Markman. He's the most complete player this roster this roster has. The one that has the uh, the most potential, I guess, to be the best two-way player on the roster. So I'm totally all in on this guy, but... Yeah, it, look, it, like I said, there was, it wasn't a game with, with, with uh, many highlights here, but one of the, the guys who did perform, who I want to give you an opportunity to talk about his game, Fred, it, it was Justin Holiday. I want you, I want, I want you to, to use this platform now to say some nice things about Justin Holiday because you've said a lot of not-so-nice things in the past, but I think after he, you know, he made 66.7% of his three-point shots, hitting six threes in the first half, as I mentioned before. I think now would be an appropriate time for you to send him a little bit of praise, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, of course, you hit six threes in a, in a half. You got you deserve a pat on the back. I will counter that I thought a lot of that was due to the way Milwaukee was playing Levine, and our, our good friend, neutral friend Kevin Anderson, correctly pointed that out. If you go back and watch his six threes, you know, he was wide open, and, and Parker had it going, so the the uh, Bucks defense really was focusing on him and Levine, which left a tremendous opportunity for Holiday. He took that opportunity and he grabbed it. Of course, Holiday does what he he often does, which is in the second half he came out and was shot. I think he was one for six and zero for zero for three from three. Uh, that's the Justin Holiday I know, and I understand. Hey, he had a great first half. Congratulations. Regardless, the guy is to me one of the most frustrating players on this team to watch. I think he's awful. Uh, you know, he, he will, he, he's a backup three, uh, and, and on, and on, I think on a good team, he's not even a backup three. I think he's a, you know, 14th or 15th guy in the roster, um, for every one of the games that he has, like, you know, he had last night, which was, you know, basically seven or 12 from the field. He had a really decent night. He'll have a game like he does, you know, in Boston where, let me look what he was. He was two of 10, two of seven from three, six points. And he just kills you because he doesn't get to the line. He doesn't get rebounds. He doesn't really get assists. He does nothing but just kind of wander the court and play average defense. So I don't understand why Fred plays him so much. I want to see more from Hutch. I think Hutch is uh, clearly has a much higher defensive ceiling uh, offensively. I hope he develops. But what what are we doing? Like, why are we playing this guy? He's in the, the top ten in the league in minutes. And and as as Sylvie correctly put it last week, what's the point? Right. I mean, that's what I feel about holiday. Hey, he, he had a great game, but do you think anybody's going to take him off of us? I, we, we, we couldn't trade him last year. Do you think it's, it's, it's actually a possibility that we're going to get something for Justin holiday? What say you? Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely possible, but it depends what the bulls want. If the bulls want a first round pick, then they're kidding themselves. If they're willing to settle for a second round pick, then that's in play. But I don't know. It depends on what they want. But I'd be surprised if a team, like a contending team, wouldn't be interested in a guy that's hitting forty percent of his three pointers. Like, why would you not be into that type of player? And because he's for, not, he's not. That's not what he does for his career. That's the problem. He's a thirty-three percent three-point shooter, and then everybody knows that he's not going to continue at those numbers the more he plays. That's the problem, and that, 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 that's the other thing. We just we'll get a second-round pick for him. I don't believe that's true. I don't think it's true. Why I mean, I guess we'd have to ask ask the the GM. I know for certain they couldn't get a second round pick for him last year. That's a fact. They tried he, to trade. He had him another year on his deal. 
I mean, he's an expiring contract good at this point. point. Good point. Very good counter. Uh, you know, it, and I, I don't think the Bulls are dumb enough to hold on to Justin Holiday if uh, if they're going to get a second round pick offered for him. Maybe maybe I'm wrong in that. I mean, I don't believe in second round picks anyhow. But uh, I know you do. I know you do. We won't argue about that point. But. I just don't want to see him play. I don't want to see him playing as much. I want to see Hutch ahead of him. Do you agree with that, or do you disagree with me on that point? Well, I mean, Hutchinson's got to improve offensively. He's he's got he's shown things rebounding. He showed things on defense. I think he can be a good player, but thus far on offense, he hasn't been very good. He's had occasional games where he's sort of popped up here and there, making baskets. He's he's a really good dunker. He, he's got a really, um, a really good apt or a really good ability rather yeah, in sort of cutting through the lanes or finding the lanes, getting to the basket off the ball like that. So I think he has potential as an offensive player, but he's nowhere near that at the moment. So. And with Valentine out already, the Bulls need someone out there that can sort of space the floor on the wing. And Holiday is doing that this season. So I sort of get why Fred is leaning on him. If you're going to give a, a coach a guy that can go out there and give you 30 minutes and on you know on occasions, fire up the way he has. Uh, I'm not surprised the coach would lean on Holiday given the depth issues the Bulls have at the moment. So... It's not too surprising for me, but did you did you see him? Or did you watch the Bulls outsiders last night? I did. I missed it. Why? Wow. Oh no! Was oh, my well, name they answered up? one of my questions. I, I asked them a question, and oh, no. I, I was I, I asked the question in hope that you were listening or watching rather, and then I asked contracts considered who who has been the more productive player, Justin Holiday or Jabari Parker? What what do you think they said for it? Well, contracts considered, of course, one guy makes. What four million? The other guy makes twenty. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, uh, yeah. I, uh, Justin's Go on, played admit well. It. You're you're very He's close to admitting it. I'm admitting it. Yeah, I mean, so far, I mean, if you're if you're going by you know ROI, return on investment, of course, holidays. He's, he's playing. I don't want to say he's playing well. He's been inconsistent. But he, he's he's had some great moments and he's had some awful moments. That's the thing with me, a holiday. I'd like a player a little bit more, just good inconsistent he's so up and down and when he plays well the bulls have a chance of winning and when he plays terrible which is most nights uh they don't have a shot but i'm sure that's how they answered it right or did anybody disagree i mean it's a, it, all right let's get in the park though for a second let's i do want it. to mention park because he he did score 21 yesterday and I, I this this idea well he had a great first quarter the last two nights and he did nothing after that well he didn't play the last quarter and a half of the boston game because we were blown out when he sat out in the second quarter, and so I mean, yeah, he didn't he didn't have a great second half. He only played twenty six minutes in that game. So I'm um, my gosh, I, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore, Mark. I'm so sick of this this magnifying glass on every minute a player is out on the court. If you if you do that with every player, you're going to find moments that are. No, not no, great. no, not flattering. They're not, flattering. not as egregious as this. They're not as egregious Possibly. as this. Possibly, maybe. I, I'd like to. I'd like to think that, but I, I can find egregious moments. No, you're probably right. you can't. You're probably right. You can't. I, I do want to say. I, I, I. That's why I hope he's gone. Um, just because I don't want to have these arguments anymore. I'm on Jabari Island alone. I thought after that first quarter there'd be more people joining me. Instead, what I get is like people like bringing their ship up to the island and then throwing, <laughs> you know, their 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 waste on the on the shore and then leaving. <laughs> that's what it's basically been. And I, I do want to address a tweet from your friend, uh, Morton Stig Jensen, who usually has smart things to say, but we all have our off days. So, you know, <laughs> I decided to, I want to address this because a lot of what he says in this tweet, he has a series of tweets that came out, I think, overnight that I saw this morning that just enraged me. 
And I do want to address it because I think that it's kind of like a common theme throughout the fan base. Now, his, his final point, which is the bullshit buyout, um, Parker is so insane that, you know, no one is, I, no one but I've seen but him would suggest that. As an aside, do you really believe that we should buy out Jabari Parker? Do you agree with that? I'm not please, far away please. from it. I'm not far oh, away from God. it. I'd probably lean he, more he towards that than keeping him. Mark, this is a league that requires scoring. I don't care. He's had one game where he hasn't had double digits in scoring. Do you really believe that at the trade deadline, there are no teams that are going to be interested in a 23-year-old scorer with a with a expiring deal? I think there's going to be zero teams that have interest in Jabari Parker, who loafs up the court defensively, who gives up on plays, who has no interest in playing defense whatsoever. I've, I I had so many screenshots and videos of this this Bucks game where. Parker wasn't even in the freaking frame when when the when the Bucks were going back to play offense. There was this one play where he turned the ball over in the fourth quarter on the baseline, and he did not even sprint at all to get back and when play on defense. 20, Tony Snell and you have hits a the three, glass. and yes, and Parker just doesn't enter the frame at all. What are you talking about? No one's interested in him. No, you look for yes, that's not true. So let me explain why. First of all, let's go back to his tweet. One of his tweets was. Uh, for I'm going to quote it here for a developing ball club. He's the worst representation of how to put in work End quote. All right, let's stop. And we're, I'm going to address that first. Right. He's overcome two ACL injuries, the same knee. Do you have any concept of the amount of effort or work it takes to come back from that? Do you really think his teammates are unaware of his injury history or do they just watch, you know, your tweets and Gustavo videos and then they text each other with the thoughts comment do you do you think that's how it goes <laughs> down inside bulls central no i had a severe ankle injury in my playing career that basically ruined my my career i i had friends at acls it's 10 times more difficult to come back from that so let's just stop right there with this guy doesn't work just to get to the point where he's at at 23 he put in work and i think his teammates are aware of that and let me let me explain everybody how it works in the real world of basketball Every team has players with a wide variety of skills and work ethic, ranging from great to awful. I had teammates who uh, you and Mark, uh, uh, my, my buddy Mark Lewenthal and Morton, I'm sure would have loved watching. You have been re- rewinding all the videos of them and all the defense with championships fans here in Chicago. They had natural skills. They had athleticism. And they had, you know, personal frustration about their lives, and they channeled it into defense. And that's what they did for our teams, right? Great defenders, incredible natural skills. You know what else? They usually shot about 40% from the free throw line because they never practiced it. They couldn't hit a shot outside of five feet, and they hated working at practice. They, they showed up late for practice. They hated putting in hours, the hours that it takes to become a good shooter. They showed up late. They were terrible teammates. So some of these players with horrible practice habits that were beloved by fans like Dennis Rodman, you know, Dennis Rodman didn't even show up for practice on most days. Phil Jackson had to show up at his apartment and beg him to come to practice when he wanted to institute a new play. But the coach and teammates, they, they tolerated him because he was one of the best rebounders of all time. But he had zero impact or zero influence on his younger teammates because he didn't show up to practice. So I know. Mort probably loves him. I know you probably love Rodman. Everybody loves Rodman, right? It, it, it means nothing. It means nothing about how hard he worked in the game. He didn't work at practice. So for but what, what does this, say, any of this have to do with Jabari Parker not giving a crap I'm, on defense? I'm explaining. I'm explaining. His point was for a developing ball club, he's the worst representation how to put in work. 
No, he's no, he's not. Do you, do you really believe that the, how he plays and how he showed on a couple of those three pointers has any impact on Wendell Carter Jr.? Right? The, it has zero impact on him. Well, like yeah. his Go other on. quote was here. Let me let me explain here. Look, little first one here. His other quote: "Hanging on to Parker for even the remainder of the season can have severe consequences, not just for the development of Carter and marketing, but for upcoming free agents." No, it can't. What are you talking about? Do you do you really think the consequences you feel that these videos that you have? Do you think they have any impact on Wendell Carter Jr.? Is that what your point is? I can tell you there. There's a, the only consequences on Wendell Carter Jr. will be severe is if he gets start getting an undue amount of offensive defensive attention on the offensive end. Yeah, that will be a problem for him and he'll start losing confidence. Well, you know, want a good, good way to do that. Why don't you buy out Parker and let's see how that works with the team right now as is. So it, it the, just the concept that, that Parker's play uh, is having a negative consequence, a negative impact on her. It's, it's such, it's so stupid and so insane. It's beyond belief. He even throws a cat under the bus here. Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns, his career, he started from three-point line. His first career, he's 34%. Now he's at 43%. Do you know the amount of hours it takes in a gym to get that kind of improvement at the three-point line? Who gives a crap with Jimmy? He's like, his, his work ethic is questionable. Based on what? What Jimmy, what Jimmy Butler says? Jimmy Butler thinks everyone's work ethic is inferior. My point is this idea that Parker's having a negative impact on his teammates is stupid. It's wrong, and let's just shut up because it's it, it's not true. It's not true. Wendell Cutter Jr. is not hurt by the presence of, of uh, Jabari Parker. What say you? <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea where to go with that. Well, I go somewhere. Uh, I want to hear it. I want to hear it because I'm ready. To, I'm so angry about this stuff. I can't take it anymore. Well, and I'm, I hope he goes. Well, which is just, I've got Morton coming on after you, so that's going to be interesting for me. <laughs> well, ex- ask him to explain myself and explain, have him explain. I'll, I'll you, ask him you- to explain himself, but I definitely think that Jabari Parker is having a negative impact on this team. Maybe not personally, maybe he's not going to hurt his development, but from a team perspective, there's no way you can sit here and tell me that Jabari Parker is a positive player for the Bulls right now. He's not making uh, Wendell Carter's life any easier. He's not making his his teammates' life any easier when he's not sort of helping them get back on defense when it's four-on-five situations. There was another play in this Bucks game where he completely lost Tony Snell. Tony Snell is a very good player, and he just completely lost him. How how does that happen? Yes, I know. I know we're pointing out every one Jabari Parker. They're egregious, Fred. Like, they're not one singular player. They're not just a blown rebound. They're not a missed uh, overplaying a passing lane or something stupid like that. A basic error of that nature. These are egregious plays where where he's not even trying or not even focused. That's the problem. He also had a great defensive play on Giannis early in that game that I forced Gustavo to highlight. Because it was great. Yes, he's not always he he has problems giving consistent effort on defense. The the issue I have with this, and it's going we we've already gone the rabbit hole because everybody wants to prove me wrong, is that if you do the same thing with every player, Zach Levine, every player in his team, there are going to be moments where you're going to be embarrassed and you're going to be like, wow, that that was terrible. But nobody pays attention to that, and nobody highlights it like they do for Jabari. I agree, he's not great defensively, and he has uh, far too many moments where he's horrible, but he's also one of the best offensive players on the team. Like, I don't buy what you're, what you're selling, Mark. Like, do you really believe that if Jabari Parker was off this roster, 
that these last two games, do you know what would have happened to the final score? I think we would have lost by about 60 points in both games. I don't think we would even had a chance. And we, we actually looked good in the first quarter in both games. We actually had an 18-point lead in the second in, 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 against the Bucs in Milwaukee. And to say, well, Jabari is the reason, it, that's basically what you're saying. That's basically what everyone's saying. Jabari's a problem. When we get our talent back, he's going to be a massive force on the second unit. Now, that's not what we're paying him for, right? Uh, I, I agree there. We were hoping he'd probably could be a starter at the three and give us more minutes there. I think we both agree now. I've come around to that point that, hey, he's probably not best suited at the three and starting, but he could still be a valuable player for this team running the second unit. And and it's it's just insane to me that people say, oh, let's just buy him out. What, what, I, we, we have literally lost our minds. And I know I have a, a big... A self-made house on Jabari Island. I know I'm there alone, but we have lost our minds because I don't agree with with the general assessment. And, and and you think I'm wrong? I know you do. There's far, and I agree with you. There's far more times that he does that. But if you tried it with every player, even the great Ryan Archie, not in the NBA, has moments where he's embarrassing on defense. I, I don't disagree, but I'll say this: when when Ryan Archie has a bad defensive play, it's not because of a lack of trying. It's not because he doesn't give a crap. It's not because of any lapses he's making on defense. The same you can be said with Zach Levine this year. He's improved defensively in terms of his effort. He's still not a good defender. You can still highlight defensive mistakes from Zach Levine. But in no way is he giving up on defense in the same vein that Jabari Parker is. That's the problem here, Thread. That's the separation. That's why we routinely see Jabari on these videos that surface all over Twitter, people mocking Jabari because he's just not even giving a crap. That's the problem. Well, there's, yeah, I know there's that video, that same video that uh, has been highlighted. I must have received 20, 25 times from (laughs) unbelievable how many different people have sent it to me where he's kind of jogging out on when the Bulls were down by what, 30 or whatever. I don't don't even know at that point. And he's jogging out to quote unquote contest the three. Yeah. Just look at the same video. Look at Lopez' effort. Look at Blake and his effort that I highlighted. You laughed out loud at me on it because they weren't. It's that's true. not their man. They weren't there. They they were already covering someone. Effort? Well, how do we know that wasn't Lopez? I I, I wasn't entirely clear that it wasn't Lopez. Uh, Lo, the Lopez, his responsibility. But he, let's say, let's for your argument's sake, let's say he was. He didn't put in the stellar effort on that play. None of those guys did. I I. I I, I know I'm on a losing side on this one because the whole world's against me, and I know I'm uh, Jabari Island. But I do know this. I do know this. What's the, that? the the theory that he's having, he's going to have. I, I think what his implication was, he's having severe negative implications on the work ethic of Laurie Markin and Wendell Carter Jr. is is wrong, and it's not only wrong; it's so wrong that it's it's to the level of it's beyond it's like as wrong as you could possibly be in in life because Wendell Carter Jr. has his work ethic is not going to be impacted at all by by Jabari Parker that's not the way the life works it's not the way basketball teams work either so well, I look, hope I'll, I made my case you, look you've made your case I'll, I'll let you rant on long enough and, and look I'll I'll accept your life lesson here and I, I don't know if I'll take it on board but I'll, at least I listen to it that's all I can that's all I can do at this point, I guess. So, But before you get away, I know you've got to get away. I want to end on a positive note. Something a little bit more upbeat than Jabari Barker's defensive issues because that's probably something we're going to be talking about for probably the next three months, four months, I'd, I'd be imagining. Um, unless the Bulls do buy him out. But I wanted to yeah. talk 
story time with C. Redfred. Yeah. What do you got for me this week? You got a basketball I got one a, for me? I got, I got a good life lesson. It's a good life lesson for everybody, uh, I think. And, and it, I hope you guys learned something out of this. And again, it has to do with my career in music. I told you guys the horrible story about what happened um, with uh, with the band and how we were, you know, how our careers ended. And it was unfortunate and all true. But after that, I said, you know what? I'm going to form my own band. And in, in Gigawater, I was probably the worst. I, I will admit I was not the most talented uh, member of that of that group. But um, so I, I always kind of had this like little bit of uh, an issue with, you know, I was, what's the word I'm trying to come up with? I, I, an inferior, inferiority complex, I guess, as far as my musical talents, because the other guys in the band were just so good. So I said, I'm going to form my own band. And I formed Play Pants Jimmy. And uh, I'll, the story of the name is for another show. But anyhow, we finally <laughs> Wait, was, got what, what was it? What was the band name? Tight Pants Jimmy. Tight Pants Jimmy. Yeah, Tight Pants Jimmy. <laughs> Long story. It has to do with Las Vegas. But anyhow, so Tight Pants Jimmy is uh, a band that I'm forming, and I booked us a gig at the Tuckaway to open up for another band. So six songs, right, is all we had to play. Uh, and then and then the gig would be over. So anyhow, <laughs> we show up at the gig, and uh, the band the band that was supposed to we were opening for didn't, didn't pl- show up. So it was just us. Yeah. And so we're just there by ourselves. And uh, the owner comes out. He says, I'll give you an extra $150 if you guys could play, you know, for two two uh, two and a half hours, I might, and let's do it. The problem was is that we only rehearsed six songs, so I had a theory that uh, we could do the same songs over again, and the crowd wouldn't get upset. So at that time, I was in U two. We did Elevation. We did With or Without You. ROC came to USA uh, by John Cougar Mellencamp into <laughs> What I Like About You by the Rom- Romantics, uh, and then we did um, classic uh, dad songs. Was- yeah, we did uh, "In the Name of Love" by U2, and then the, the, the there was one other song I can't even remember what it was. Oh, it was um Louis Louis. That was I always close with that one. Right, Louis Louis. So those six songs. So we did it the first time. People were into it, and then we took a break, and then we did the exact same set again, and then we took a break, and people started. You could sense the crowd go from great to wait, what's going on here? Then we did the exact same songs again, and by the end of it. People were, were were visibly angry, booing, <laughs> hissing. A guy, I remember, we had four, so we had four sets. We did the exact same song. After the third song, the guy drunk off his rear end comes up to me. If you guys play the same songs again, I'm gonna punch you in the face. And it was just like, <laughs> all right. So we, you know, we just played them again. And then I was watching the guy the whole time. And he was... <laughs> so the moral of the story: always be prepared. Right. If you guys are, you should always have more than six songs ready before you play at a gig, uh, because when the opportunity knocks, you could really make the most of it. So that was uh, that's my sh- the sharing my story. What do you think? Wow, I mean that's a good one. Tight pants, Jimmy. I mean we'll have to get into that name on, on another day because I want to hear more about the the thought process and just how you came about coming up with that ridiculous name. <laughs> but it's not. oh man, it sounds like you're almost the Jabari Parker of cover band guitarists. Is that fair to say? <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, I guess that, in a way it's true. The first set was the best. <laughs> Just like the first quarter today against the Bucks, but the rest, not so very good. Very good, Mark. Uh, you friend. always bring a laugh out of me. I gotta oh, that yeah. was very good. Well, look, I, enjoy, uh, I always talk, enjoy talking to you. We'll speak again next week. Sounds good, brother. Take it easy, man. 
All right. God love him. That was C Red Fred, folks, at CBE Fred on Twitter. Uh, I love that man. He's a bit crazy, but uh, I just love having him around. love talking to him. But let's go to Morton Stig Jensen now, who I mentioned before. He is jumping on the podcast now to give his thoughts on the Bulls at large, but more importantly, Jabari Parker. Fred had a bit of a whinge about Morton's take on the whole Parker situation, so I'm I'm sure Mort will have a a bit of a a retort here, but Mort, thanks for jumping on the pod. How are you? Hey, Mark. How's it going? It's going well here. Good, man. Good to hear. It's been a little while since we've talked, um, and I thought it would be a pretty opportune time to have you on now, given that you've been voicing your opinions about Jabari Parker, and I just got done with my good old friend, Fred Pfeiffer, who, as you know, is a big Jabari Parker fan. And he voiced his opinion on things, probably differing to yours quite substantially. So I want to hear it from you. What what have you made about the whole Jabari Parker situation? I know you're heated on this topic. Fred had a bit of a comment about your tweets that you heard earlier this morning where you were pretty much adamant that you are, didn't want to see Jabari Parker on this Bulls team anymore. I, I kind of understand that view, but oh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, for you to elaborate your perspective here. Well, first of all, I didn't know that Fred was a big Jabari Parker fan because I, I have him muted. I had, <laughs> I've had him muted for well over a year now. I, I don't know what he says. I did, it, it, you were the one who told me, actually, that he was responding to my tweets. I, I don't know. He's just screaming into the abyss, which I think is, is pretty fitting, considering <laughs> where he stands on the bulls. Um, oh, Fred. Yeah. No, it's it's a sad story. Um, so So here's the thing. With Jabari, I think it's very obvious if you have eyes and the ability to actually look at a basketball game that he's just not engaged in any way. No. Uh, look at the closeout he had on, was it Chris Middleton? Uh, I think yeah, Chris- yeah. I, oh, I can't even remember who the player was because I was too busy just focusing on, is yeah. Jabari going to run at him at all or not? Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> right. I think it was Middleton. And, you know, it, it's just that that lack of effort and that lack of work ethic in, in games. That's just, it's, it's just ridiculous. Like he's just not doing anything really against Detroit earlier this year. You remember that whole sequence, like the long offensive rebound that Blake Griffin got. Then he worked himself inside and scored over Wendell Carter with, with I think Drummond or, or another piston center was right there. And Parker, instead of rotating back over and hustling back into the paint, was just standing on the perimeter watching his man go to town on Wendell Carter. Like, this has been a, a thing throughout the whole season. And I, I, yeah, I'm fed up with the Jabari Parker experiment if I'm a Bulls fan and if I'm a Bulls observer because his lack of intensity, his, Lack of just putting in any kind of focus and, and dedication to anything is ha- it has to be draining. I mean, look, we've seen Wendell Carter come out and speak about the lack of togetherness and the lack of like defensive accountability. You know, this is a 19 year old rookie who's picking up patterns like, hey, so we're lacking something like we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. That's a rookie. He's not even 20 games into his career yet. And he's identifying correctly, I should add, that the Bulls are just you know, not picking up defensive schemes. And would you be surprised at all if it's Jabari Parker primarily that he's voicing his displeasure at? No, I would not be surprised. I'm I'm pretty sure he's taking a game at Zach Levine, 
Bobby Porter, oh, not Bobby Porter, uh, Jabari Parker, maybe some of the guards as well, someone like Antonio Blakeney. I know if right. I was having to <laughs> to guard the rim and oh, yeah. I, I could see Antonio Blakeney in front of me and him letting his defenders sort of just go past, I'd be pretty mad at him too. So I'm, I'm not sure if he's just aiming directly at Jabari, but he's certainly taking aim at a few players. And there were some interesting car- uh, comments from Carter Jr. And he certainly wasn't wrong, so... Look, I, I, I completely get it. I'm done with Jabari Parker. I've been done before it even started. So in that way, I am a little bit biased. And to Fred's point, I definitely do try to point out his defensive mistakes more so than any other player. But like I sort of alluded to Fred just before, the thing that is... Or the reason why we do that is we don't see any of these sort of egregious plays from others. Like even Antonio Blakeney, who's a terrible defender... He gets killed on 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 picks and screens and those sorts of things, but in some ways he's still at least trying on defense. And same thing with yeah. Zach Levine; he was a bad defender last season, and he was coming back from injury. So maybe we put it down to this season, to that rather. But this season, even though he's still not a good defender, and you can still class him as a bad defender, I think there's been less moments where he's just been completely absent or completely checked out on defense, and he's at least trying somewhat more, which. I guess that's you can all you can ask for. Whereas Jabari, like we sort of talked about before, and particularly in this box game where you would think in if there was any game that he would be coming out and really hustling hard, playing both sides of the floor, you would think it would be his return to Milwaukee in the re, in his first re- regular season return to Milwaukee, but that wasn't the case and mm-hmm. those egregious players are just highlighted because they're so well, so damn egregious, I guess. Yeah, I mean you can't miss it. It's <laughs> look I, I, where I'm coming from with all this is solely out of the perspective of where the Bulls are. If this was a middling team, they didn't have any young rookies that were impressionable and who had to be developed correctly. You know, you could just say, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's, it's like the magic, like where most players are, you know, very close to their prime and everything is ruined because they had a lot of bad apples. Like you just had to blow it up. But I, I think the Bulls have every reason to be very much invested in Wendell Carter Jr. and Laurie Markin and those two in particular. And having a guy like Jabari who completely undermines the message of a coaching staff where effort does play a big game. And that's with every coaching staff, not even at the NBA level, but every level of basketball ever. Like effort has to be there and, and accountability has to be there. And somehow Jabari's just getting away with it time and time again. Like he's he's a starter now, and he still seems to be still just not responding to anything. I I don't know when this changed. Like he seemed really excited to come to Chicago, and then immediately after he made the whole you know we don't get paid to play defense comment, it seemed like after that point because he you know there was a significant backlash to it, he just mentally checked out, and he hasn't been seen since. Like the 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 same energy that he brought in Milwaukee at least, we haven't seen that in Chicago, which I found interesting. Yeah, look, I don't know what the situation is. Maybe he's just fallen out of love with the game. Uh, you know, after two ACL injuries coming back from that, which is a pretty valiant effort, really. I mm. could probably understand why he doesn't necessarily want to go as hard as what he once did. I would have, you know, if I was in his shoes, I would have a fear of getting hurt again. But right. I don't know. I mean, Maybe I'm being too uh, too forgiving for someone like Jabari and, I'm hopeful that he can turn it around. I would I would love to see him do that, but I, I just don't see any Agreed. reason why in year five we should expect him to be showing any signs of turning things around. And you would think he'd be doing that now on a one-year... He's effectively on a one-year make-good deal. So 
if there's any time for him to really be trying, it's with $20 million on the line for next season. But we haven't really seen it. I think that's the most disappointing thing with it, uh, about this whole thing. He's, he's effectively playing for his career here. And I don't want to compare him to Carmelo Anthony because he's got obviously 10 years, uh, he's 10 years, years younger than Carmelo. But I mean, he could really be headed to a, si- a similar situation in a year or two where he's not earning much more than a minimum type contract. He'll probably still get, get a okay deal because he was a former number two pick but at some point the league is going to find him out that this guy all he really does is going to score he's a 3-4 hybrid he doesn't really have a position he doesn't play defense he's probably not wanting to come off the bench he probably still views himself as a starter so he's going to be in that awkward phase like Mallow is currently but he's, he's going to be a, almost a younger version of, of, of Mallow. So you actually touched on something that I mentioned in my my little tweet soap opera drama there um Basically, I also pointed out that it, it Parker's lack of effort and lack of activity doesn't just hurt the Bulls internally. It also hurts them from a free agency perspective because players know. Like players know. You said the NBA will find out. Players understand each other's games for the most part. They know when a guy is mentally checked out, when he's lazy, when he's not competing because they're out there. They're out there on the court playing against these guys. So they know. And when you see players now go up against Jabari, it's pretty clear that he's not getting any type of respect, and rightly so, because he's just not engaged. He's not locked in at any point. Teams often leave him, don't really push their defense up on him, at least you know defensively, and they go at him relentlessly on defense because they know they can get away with it. You know, the secret is out, and I agree with you entirely. I don't think Jabari is going to be more than you know, slightly more than a minimum player moving forward if this trend continues. I mean, he's lost himself at the very least $15 million a year. Yeah, I think that's fair. But uh, I just want to expand on that point. Do you think, are you suggesting that from Jabari's point of view, that teams or teams and players are going to sort of find him out in for agency or more so the Bulls? Because if you're thinking the Bulls, I'm not sure if I agree with that. Well, that's a good point. The Bulls, they they don't really operate like many others, and I I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them retain him because he is a Mark Bartlestein client. Well, I mean that's that's the issue here. Well, yep. not the issue, but that's going to be a, an interesting side piece to this because obviously Bobby Portis too, who is also yep. a free agent, who is also a backup power forward, is also a Bartlestein uh, agent or client rather. So mm-hmm. that one's going to be fun to watch. Chandler Hutchinson too. So let's look yep. forward to four years and, and see what happens there. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting time. But uh, look, uh, I've, this entire show has been very Jabari Parker focused. So let's move on from that. I, I haven't talked to you for a while, actually. So so just right. give me your general take about this Bulls team. What have, what have you made over the last month or so of basketball here that we've seen from the Bulls? And Specifically, I want to hear from you about Wendell Carter Jr. Fred and I just talked about Wendell before. It was, it was a quick little one, one or two minute hit on how good he has been. But I know you were super high on Wendell Carter Jr. too. Yes. So, very interested to hear from you what you th- what you've thought about Wendell Carter Jr. here in his first twenty or so games. So you know how most NBA comparisons with with when players coming out of the draft are lazy and dumb. Yeah. I do it all well, the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think we all do. The the Wendell Carter Al Horford comparison after all was spot on. That was that is one of the few that really seems to be, oh, that's that's the perfect one. That's a nail on the head. I mean, that it's just so 
proper when you look at it. Like he's de- his defensive discipline is just amazing. He's got the verticality down. Like the way that he forced the jump ball on Giannis. I think Stefan No had a tweet about that. That is just so amazing. Giannis is one of the most insanely gifted fast break players in the history of our game. And he is that by age, what, 23, which is ridiculous. Somehow, Wendell Carter Jr. managed to just lock him up because he understands that backpedaling and using his arms, not not to hit Giannis necessarily, but go after the ball at the right time, like just combine timing, his footwork, and understanding when, when to pounce on a defensive attempt. Like He's just so smart. It, these are plays that we have not seen from any ball since... I want to say Ben Wallace. Joakim Noah, as good as he was, was always better as, as a weak side defender, or at the best, as a weak, weak side defender. Wendell Carter seems to be just an amazing man-to-man guy. Absolutely amazing. He, and when you go on the other way, you know, offensively, he's shown that he can hit jump shots at a high level. When he has space, he can take that one-to-two dribble and, and make some sort of floating game. Like, he has that in his repertoire. He still struggles, you know, shooting around the rim, but that's going to come around. He's, after all, a rookie. But I just love the fact that he's he's not forcing the issue at any point. And his rebounding, obviously, is excellent, as we all anticipated. I think it's only going to become better and better and better. Um, I, I would go as far as saying that, you know, right now, I actually feel better about Wendell Carter Jr. than I do Laurie Markkinen, and, and I'm very high on Markkinen. No, I, I completely agree. I've been on record saying that Wendell Carter Jr. is going to be the best player on this team, you know, in a few years' time, assuming they don't, you know, necessarily hit on another outstanding player in the next draft coming up. You know, maybe right. if they land uh, an RJ Barrett or a Zion Williams, and maybe that that uh, situation's a little bit different. But based on the players we have at the moment and what we know to date, I'm pretty confident based on his all-round play and the fact that he's probably not going to have a weakness in his game. He doesn't really have one now, but if you think about. Wendell Carter Jr. is, say, four years' time. Before he's even hit his prime, his prime is like five, six years away. So just just think about the player he can be in five years' time when he's sort of starting to hit his prime, his athletic prime. It's it's insane what this guy could be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the three-pointer is going to come as well. Like, right now, he's only 11% of his shots are threes, so he's really hesitant about it. But when he gets his feet set, like, that, that thing looks good. And it's not yeah. like he's airballing them or it's, you know breaking them off the backboard. Like it's it's legit jump shots that that have a high chance of going in actually, and they're just you know bouncing around. When he gets that fine tuned, he's going to be a unicorn, absolutely. Definitely, and I said this earlier today as well. But I, I think there's a fair chance here that Wendell Carter Jr. is going to be the best big man drafted in this 2018 NBA draft. I know. Guys like Marvin Bagley and even DeAndre Ayton will probably put up the better stats. Uh, DeAndre Ayton's going to be a routine 20 and 10 guy at some point in his career. He's not even that far off at it right now. But 20 and 10 doesn't mean you're the most impactful big man going around from this draft class. I'm pretty confident it's going to be Wendell Carter Jr. And if it's not him, it's probably Jaron Jackson Jr., who's probably the only other big that I was... Not disappointed, but the only other big that I would have loved to have on this Bulls roster. But I am so wrapped that this kid is a Bull. Yeah, it's it, look, the Bulls just got a freaking steal with Carter at, at seven. I, I don't think, I haven't thought that Backley would be better than Carter since, I think, December of last year. 
Yeah. I, I It was pretty obvious to me when watching Duke games that Batley needs a very specific system to thrive. And to your point, you know, stats in terms of influence, it's, it's almost like if you want to compare like prime Zach Randolph to prime Al Horford. Like Zach Randolph was what, 22-11 guy in his prime, which were never numbers that Al Horford reached. But you know, give me Al Horford every day of every day of the week and twice on Sundays. I mean, I, I just don't see a comparison there. So it's going to be a similar situation there. And in regards to DeAndre Aiden, who I actually had in front of Carter, admittedly, man, I was wrong. You know, Aiden is he's good. He's he's an excellent rebounder. He's a strong scorer, and he's a more influential scorer than Marvin Backley is. But defensively, oh boy. I mean, he looks like Zach Levine out there. His head is cut off and he has no grasp of patterns, rotations, you know, clearing the corners. It's just all reactionary and it's just gobbling up the, you know, the the, the Phoenix Suns defense to, to a very bad degree. Carter, I don't think I've seen a 19-year-old this disciplined defensively. I mean, I, I at least not in this current era. I, I, I just cannot think back and find someone where I'm going, oh, that guy's absolutely there. We had a big man, you know, power forward, center, whatever, who was that influential defensively. I can't think of one. No, I think it's fair. And, and the, the amusing thing is there were some question marks about his defense coming into into the season because the, because uh, Duke played a lot of zone. We didn't really know much about how he would, he would go as, an, as a rim protector in a man-to-man defense. There's obviously questions about him being able to hang on the perimeter with, uh, you know, perimeter-type players, guards, forwards, those sorts of things. But he's pretty much shut down all of those questions. Well, not not last week, not not today, not last week. He's pretty much ever since he stepped foot on the NBA floor. So uh, you don't hear those things anymore. They're just gone. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it was all about the whole, you know, can he guard point guards specifically, which I always thought was like a pretty weird uh, I guess standard to hold him to, like, can you switch out and guard a point guard for twenty four seconds? I mean, look, even the best big men in the league, even defensively, will get burned on those point guards. You can take Anthony Davis, one of the best big man defenders in the league, and put him up against like Kemba Walker. Kemba will get the better of AD on several occasions. Like, who is that magical big man who can come out and guard one through five with no lapses? Who is that guy that we're somehow holding these draft prospects up to? Well, I mean, Draymond Green, I guess. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that that's the one guy. And that's, you know, to be fair, he's 6'7". So he's not, you know, a 6'10", 7 feet tall guy who has to maneuver differently. Like, it's Draymond. And that's all fine and dandy, but if you have this one, probably the most special, unique player in the NBA, Draymond, that is, if you, if he's the guy that you're measuring everything up to, yeah, then then you're you're probably going to swing and miss a lot in the draft. If that if that's you know the guy that you hold everything up to, I'm just glad the Bulls actually got someone who uh, was really good because as we heard, they apparently were very much down on Luka Doncic, which I find. <laughs> Very uh, disheartening if I'm a Bulls fan. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I guess. Who knows? Who knows at that time? There's a lot of rumors flying around. But all we do know is they did take Wendell Carter Jr. They took Lowry Markin the year before. So they've done some pretty good things out of the draft. So 
no matter how bad Jabari Parker's defense is, we always have that to lean back on. So uh, that's the positive that I wanted to end the show on more because no matter how bad things can be with Jabari Parker, as we've sort of gone on about this in the podcast, there's always Wendell Carter Jr. there to make us feel good about ourselves. So I appreciate you jumping on the line, sharing your thoughts about Jabari, but more importantly, sharing your thoughts on the Bulls. Big time draftee. Wendell Carter Jr., thanks for jumping on, mate. Um, before you t- uh, get away, tell people where they can follow you online. Yeah, sure. Uh, and thanks for having me. You can find me on at Twitter uh, at MSJNBA. And I'm a co-host with Brian Zaporik on The NBA Podcast, which you can find everywhere. Now on Spotify as well. Perfect, mate. Uh, I will be tuning in now on Spotify. That makes it a lot easier for me. So um, I'll be listening in. But uh, like I said, nice. thanks again for jumping on and uh, we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, let's do it. It's been a while. Take care, man. All right, Bulls fans. So that pretty much does it this week for Bulls HQ. Probably more Jabari Parker talk than I wanted to have. But given how bad things got in Milwaukee, I think we had to talk about it. I don't want to be talking about Jabari every week. Obviously, Fred and I joke about Jabari often. But yeah, I definitely don't want to go into this much detail about Jabari going forward. But we shall see, I guess. But it's just one of those things that happened given the nature of of what had transpired. Like I said a little bit earlier, we recorded this one after the Bucks game and before the Raptors game. So maybe Jabari can go out there and have a good one. Maybe the Bulls can sort of redeem themselves after that terrible Bucks loss. But look, I'm not holding out hope for that one, but uh, we'll find out in due course. But until then, this has been Bulls HQ and you can now find us on Spotify too. So if you prefer listening to your podcast via Spotify, you can definitely find Bulls HQ up on in there. So Get in on that. Follow the show on Twitter at Bulls HQ Pod. Follow me on Twitter at MK Hoops. And until next week, this has been Bulls HQ. I'll catch you all again next time. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.